Shank Bagley. Shank Bagley. Shank Bagley. Hello and welcome to Shat Bagley, an old Lincolnshire adjective to describe absolutely anything loose and disorderly, which sums up this Lincolnshire lass quite nicely, as I do tend to go off on a tangent every so often. In a moment, we'll talk Diwali with Chef Suki, discover the differences between USA versus UK with expat Julie, and find out what's kept Sarah going when she couldn't move for eight months and had to spend the entire time on the settee. First though, with it being episode 24, here are a few other things with the same number. Metres high of the tallest cactus in the world, or 78 feet to you and me. It was measured in April 1978 and it was in Cave Creek, Arizona, but sadly came down in a windstorm in July of 1986 at an estimated age of 150 years old. It's the most added time ever in a FIFA World Cup match. It happened last year during the England versus Iran game in Qatar. Added together, the combined time was 24 minutes. England won the match 6-2. And it's the record for the longest time spent in the top 10 of the UK singles chart for a Christmas song. And yes, you've guessed it, it's Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. Uh, spending 24 weeks in the top 10 since its release in 2007, so no doubt it'll be even more soon, as I've already heard it whilst out shopping. <clears throat> so I hope this finds you well, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for your lovely messages about the bananas last week. I have to tell you something that happened though whilst in Cyprus. Uh, Michaelis, who was a gentleman in the bananas, his mum Vula, fed sake doesn't speak a lot of English, kindly bought me a couple of tea cloths to take home with Cyprus on them, plus a penny and what I thought was a scarf. So in front of her, I tried it on straight away when she gave me it. Noticed it was a little small, but, but loved the colour. Anyway, it was only when they'd gone and I put my glasses on that I discovered it's a table runner. So what she must have thought, I don't know. Ah, oh dear. There we are. Let's hear from our first guest, and it's following on from a few weeks ago when we were chatting about recipes and certain ingredients you were unable to find in the States and Canada. Julie Ratchford, a Brit who now lives in America, just so happens to be the long-time best friend of my sister. Julie has been over in the UK for a few weeks visiting family and friends, and that included staying a few nights with my sister, which saw them both coming over to ours before heading to Cardiff for a couple of days. Wanting to get Julie's perspective on life across both ends of the pond, first we need to know just how long she's lived in the States. 34 years-ish, yeah. So without giving too much away age-wise, you may have had a little more time in America than you did in the UK? Yes, I've lived sadly longer in America than I have in the UK. I do miss the UK though. Ah. Now, obviously you went over for work and then family started so when you first went over to the states which part of the states were you in i was in chicago the first uh the first part and it was very cold that's what i can tell you about chicago in the winter it's very cold <laughs> so hang on you left the uk which is normally cold julie what sort of temperatures are we talking a lot of minus temperatures um in the winter in chicago so much so that um that winter that i spent there when I would step outside, the water in my nose would freeze into icicles. So that was not fun. No. So how long were you in Chicago for? Just about a year, mm -hmm. year and a half. Um, I did like Chicago for its four seasons, but definitely not for the winter. Okay. So from Chicago, you went to where? Arizona. Ooh. Now that sounds hot. It is very hot. Just this last summer, we had... 120 days over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. That temperature, you've gone from one extreme to the other. Here in the UK, we, we don't do things like that. You, you must have kind of adapted already to, to doing those temperatures. Yes. The summers are hot in Arizona, but we are equipped to deal with that with air conditioning in the houses oh, yeah. that run constantly. And in the wintertime, 
it's not really very cold, so it's very rare that we turn on the heating in the winter. Um, there might be the occasional day where we get down to 32 and you might wake up and see that one of the cacti outside has frost on it. But for the most part, that doesn't really happen a whole lot. So you've come back to the UK to visit family and friends. We are probably 8 to 10 degrees at the moment C, uh, and it's quite mild for this time of year. You must be struggling. I'm very cold. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm very cold. I've been cold for the last four days, um, and I have not been able to get warm. Um, I think it's because it's rained so much and it's been windy and it just is cold that cold is biting into your bones so I don't miss that about the UK what do you miss about the UK Mm, everything that's typically English fresh cream scones mince pies Christmas cake Christmas pudding fish and chips um, good Cadbury's chocolate (laughs) Bourneville um, Caramac Mm, there's lots of things. Greenfields, lots of watching of birds, the rolling hills. I could just go on and on and on. I don't want to bring it down, but they've announced this week in the UK that Caramac is no longer going to be made. I know, and I'm so sad. <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> believe it. It was part of my childhood. Yeah. Um, so yes, Caramac is to be no more. And it was a very unique tasting chocolate. That's very sad. It's because you moved to the States and no one else was buying it, Julie. That's that's what it was. Now, so. staying with food, we had um, a bit of a hoo-ha when we were talking about certain recipes. It was a scone, wasn't it, with three ingredients. Self-raising flour, lemonade, and, oh, gosh, what was the other one? It'll, it'll come to me. Probably half past two in the morning. But straight away, in America, who wanted to try this recipe... None of the three ingredients needed was available. Yes, that's true. Um, self-raising flour is non-existent. Um, so you'd need regular flour with the baking soda. Lemonade, the equivalent of lemonade in the States really is Sprite. Lemonade in the States is lemon juice and water, which is a homemade version of lemonade. Um, there's lots of Lots of things that are different. Lots of things that you can't get. So when you went over there, yes, it was cold and the temperatures, but when it came to cooking, I guess you had your eyes open. It's something you perhaps didn't think about. If you went to a Mediterranean country, you can understand because things are spelt differently, well, translated differently. But in America, it's English. And yet you found the ingredients weren't available. Yes. And in the small town that I went to originally in Chicago, the shopping that was available were very local grocery stores um, that did not contain a lot of the ingredients. So in the beginning, I had a lot of disasters with cake making. <laughs> <laughs> there were many more that ended in the bin than, than they were edible, I'm afraid, until I got to get some ingredients sorted out and, and learn some conversions on things, how to make them. Baking, obviously, something you used to do and you still do. You brought that from the from, uh, UK. Because in America, they're obsessed with the Great British Bake Off. Oh, they are. Um, it is a huge um, fan base in the States for the Great British Bake Off. But no, I no longer bake. I just find a lot of the ingredients, um, even with with buying a cake, or I just don't generally eat a lot of pastries anymore. I don't like the ingredients. When I come home to the UK, I eat a lot of scones and cream and mince pies in the winter. Um, The ingredients are just better and they just taste better at home. And maybe that's just my thing. That was the other thing. It was double cream. You don't have double cream in the States. No, no double cream. I can, however, um, there is a grocery store by me that I can get a jar of clotted cream. And when I can find a jar of clotted cream, it is heaven. (laughs) (laughs) You touched on the birds, because you've been looking at birds out of our window. And um, we're very lucky where we are. We do a trap, but then I do feed them. And we were saying robins, our robins, little tiny bird with little red breasts. Your robins aren't the same in America. No, they're quite a bit bigger. Um, They're about the same size as a English blackbird. 
and they're grey-ish on the back. They do have a red chest, but it's not nearly as bright. It's very subdued, even more like a burgundy colour. Um, and they're a lot bigger. So I do prefer the English robins. They do flit about and they have a beautiful song. Um, so I like to do uh, photography when I come home if I can and photograph some of the birds. And interesting in, in the UK, I mean, I don't know if it, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the UK, a robin, for a lot of people, it signifies a loved one that's no longer with us saying hello. Yes, that is true. And in the States, that is that is not true at all. I haven't heard any tale of the robins in, in the US. I don't think that it signifies anything at all. There's a couple of listeners talk about a red cardinal. They look beautiful. Do you have those where you are? Not in Arizona, but I did get a chance while I was in um, Illinois to photograph the red uh, cardinals, and they are an amazing bird to watch, and they are as bright as a fire engine. Um, and when they are background against the snow, they are the most spectacular bird to uh, take a look at. They are beautiful. Yeah. Do you think the biggest difference is, I know the size, America is huge, isn't it? But what would you say the basic differences are between our our two nations who are very closely um, good friends, aren't they? Yes, we are very good friends, but we don't have the same food and um, we don't always speak the same language, even though <laughs> it's English. American humour is very different to British humour. Even my family members in in America would come and watch the TV in in the UK and not understand the humour, so not necessarily understand the funny parts of a TV show um, in the UK. America's better than the UK in which respect? There's a lot more space. Um, driving on the roads is better. Um, Why do you say that? Just because the roads are wider. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say that unless you're on a motorway, in this country there are so many cars that people have now and our country was really not built um, for all of these cars to be on the road um, or for people to own all of these cars um, most people in the states have a garage for their car and a place to park it in the front of their house or in their garage whereas a lot of the UK because it was built so long ago um, people did not have garages or a place to park their car. And that in turn has turned the roads into parking lots where a lot of the roads now are just one-way traffic only. And that saddens me because it is taking away from some of the beauty of the streets and the towns. Mm. When did you start calling a garage garage? <laughs> <laughs> It took a long time. See, that's one of those words, um, garage and garage. Yes, we've got the trunk and the boot. And when I'm home, I vary between the two. Obviously, I pretty much know all of the words for the two, two countries now, and I do vacillate between the two. So I'll go home from here, and I'll be talking all the English words, and the kids will be asking me, well, what is that? And I'll go to work, and somebody will say, I didn't understand what you just said. I don't know what you're talking about. So that'll be a fun part of going home again. Well, nice to see you and uh, safe journey back home. And the temperatures when you get back? Um, about 73 degrees oh. and sunny. I think we need to go with you. <laughs> You're welcome anytime, Katie. <laughs> Very tempting. Lovely to see Julie again. Originally from Cleethorpes in North Lincolnshire, but now, as you heard, living in Arizona with her husband, two grown-up children and a granddaughter. And not long after our chat, with her feeling so cold, we asked if she'd like a bath. Apparently showers are the way to go in the States. So she jumped at the chance, had one, and it worked out it was the first bath she'd had in 30 years. Hmm. Staying with expats abroad, Glyn and I were on the beach on holiday, and I promise this is probably the last time I mentioned Cyprus, and loads of Brits living out in Cyprus, including the Yorkshire couple, who were probably in their early 70s. I'd say, you know, you do, your people watch, don't you? I noticed they dropped her off including their sun loungers and sandwiches, whatever, and some drink. Um, he was making sure she was okay before he headed off to, and I quote, and I, I only know this 
because he shouted it across from the car. So she was by the, the front of the, the water and his car was, you know, in the car park. And he shouted, there's an Arctic roll needs eating. I'll be back in a bit. <laughs> oh, it makes you smile, doesn't it? bit like my next guest, who is a friend first and foremost, but also happens to be my hairdresser. But sadly not for the past 18 months or so, as she's been off poorly with a back that suddenly decided not to work anymore. Uh, delighted to say she's finally on the road to recovery and hopefully will be back to work in the new year at uh, Renaissance Salon in Lemster, Herefordshire, where we caught up for a chat, albeit she was a little resident, I have to say. We had to hide ourselves in the sun bedroom out of the way of a very busy workplace. 18 months is a long time to be off and for a lot of it, Sarah was confined to her settee, unable to move. How on earth did she get through it? Um, well, I ate lots of cake. <laughs> and watched rubbish on the telly. Daytime TV. I had lots of, yes, and I had lots of visitors. Yeah. <laughs> did you know they were? <laughs> not at the time. I did accuse a few of my friends of not coming to visit. And they did. And they did. But I was very drugged up. Yeah, you were. Very. Mm. Well, you... That was it. You were kind of written off, really, because yeah. there was nothing in it. Well, you had to wait for an operation for this ear back, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, but um, I was in that much pain, I couldn't get to Birmingham to have it done. So um, I just sat and waited and waited and waited. And when we say you sat and waited and waited, you did. You were on the settee. You, that was your life. You didn't yeah. go upstairs to bed. You yeah. had to do everything on the settee. Yes, sit on the settee. I got up to go to the toilet and then I sat back down. Yeah. Eight months I couldn't wash my hair, I couldn't shower, I had to hand wash and hand do my hair. Couldn't do anything, couldn't dress. Mm. But I had lots of cake. <laughs> Thank God for cake. And the other thing is, you've got a husband yeah. who works full time right. and a young lad. Yeah, I have. Oh. Yeah, and they both really looked after me. So I was very lucky. Had my tea cooked every night. Yeah. Sandwiches made, put in the fridge in the lounge for my lunch. Because I couldn't make a sandwich. I couldn't do anything. If it weren't for the pain, this sounds lovely. (laughs) (laughs) True, yeah. It was, really. Mm. Yeah. But you don't want to do that again. Do we ever know what happened to this earbud? I had a... I can't remember what the posh word is for this disc. Degenerative. Oh, degenerative disc that had slipped as well and then hit L15S nerves sciatica type thing but because it had really hit sort of that those nerves so that's why I'm left with numbness because I've got um, nerve damage from it but in the end you never had to have the operation (laughs) well they came to take me to Birmingham to have a like a pre-op type thing Uh, and um, they sent one of these very old ambulances that they send old women and <laughs> men to <laughs> different things. Um, so they had to get me into the ambulance, which they had to do by stretcher because I couldn't walk. Mm. Um, they got me in and I said, right, I need, I'll need, i need gas and air for on the way up because I couldn't travel. And they said, oh, we don't have gas and air on this one. Oh. And I said, but that's the whole point of being sent in an ambulance so I can have gas and air. Mm. And they said, we haven't, we've only got oxygen. And I said, well, I'm breathing fine, so I don't think I can do it. So I had, they had to get me back in the stretcher and back in the front room, and I couldn't go. To this day, you've never had the operation? No, no. So I was, um, I went into hospital twice and had to have morphine injections into my, like, IV. Um, and then I was just sent home after that. So... God, and this time you're probably thinking, this is my life now. Yeah, this is my life now. And then um, in January, I had a phone call to say that they'd had a cancellation at Hereford Hospital for one of the like epidurals at the back. Mm. Would I like to risk like have it done? Yes, please. Right. I said, I'll do anything. So I went in and had that done. And I don't know whether that helped a bit or whether just the rest for sort of like by this time, like you're talking eight, nine months on the sofa. Mm. I think my body just started to mend, I hope. Asked if I could have another MRI scan to see what's happening, but they won't do it. 
because they don't need to do it because I suppose it's cost, isn't it? Somebody else that really needs to have a MRI, somebody that's mending, we just carry on. And um, I've just been doing lots of Pilates with oh, my um, my teacher one on one, and that's helped strengthen my back. Yeah. But you, because we don't really know why it happened. I know you, and I know you are thinking, "What if it happens again?" Yeah. So that must always be there. That must be ever so hard. Well, my back's not normal. It's still very weak. So it's uh, stop eating cake, let's lose some weight and hopefully that will help because yeah. they have said that's not helping. Right. But when you've been fed cake for eight months... Intravenously. <laughs> throw the IV drip. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, yeah, we'll get there. Yeah, you will. Yeah. You will get there. And mm. you're doing your Pilates and you're back. Yeah, and you're... resting when I can. Mm. Not being stupid like I was. When I say stupid, I just didn't stop. Do you think that's what it is? You just yeah, a little bit, going. and then I cared for mum, so I did a lot in a wheel, pushing her around a wheelchair, getting in and out of cars, taking her to hospital appointments, things like that. I think it's just all built up, really. And hairdressing is probably the worst occupations for yes. Beth. Yes, definitely, yeah. Now, I wanted to talk to you because I know you do like baking. I do, And you yeah. do. And I'm guessing you haven't been put off by cake, even though you've had that. You've gone off daytime telly, but you've not oh, gone off cake. Not off cake, no. <laughs> Definitely not off cake, but daytime telly, yes. Yes. But you do a lot of baking, or you did a lot of baking. Mm. And it's probably kind of something that's helped you along the way yeah, as well. Yeah, it's sort of baking I sort of do, um, I suppose, for my head space, really. Mm. Some people knit, some pe I like gardening as well, but baking, it's just nice to see people pleased with what you um, yeah. feed them. Yeah, and one of the things that you do feed them is the recipe that you're going to share with us. Tell us a little bit about the history of this recipe. So this recipe was given to me by um, a friend of my mum's and uh, she made it for a fundraiser we were doing because we, do, um, we used to do a fundraiser every year on my dad's birthday, a coffee morning, where we make lots of cakes and everyone can come visit us and put whatever you want to in the pot. So you can put a pound in, 20 pound in, whatever you want, and then eat as much cake as you want. We didn't sort of sell it. You just like come and enjoy yourself. And this tray bake was made by my mum's friend and I had a piece of it and I was like, oh my God. And then everyone had pieces of it and they were, everyone was just raving over it. So this is one, because we have to say Dad's sadly no longer with us. So this That's was right. a, a fundraiser. On his birthday for Air Ambulance because Air Ambulance went to him when he was, that, we, that was just our way of coping with his birthday mm -hmm. by not sitting and dwelling, but celebrating and eating lots of cake so this recipe is definitely a theme in this conversation yeah, definitely a theme you can tell how i was brought up and um, my mum used to bake all day on a saturday and it was always cakes all day to last us all week um but yeah so this recipe was um so we we have this cake at um the fundraiser and I asked for the recipe and as you can see by the piece of paper i use it quite often are you eating your lunch in there? Now I'm being interviewed. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry! <laughs> What's that going to be in it now? No, I don't know, I'll see. Anyway, yeah, so, as you can see, it's been used. <laughs> I've just got a flow and now she's disrupted me. So, as you can see, it's been used because I do quite a lot of fundraising um, because I just like doing it and the best way to fundraise is make cake because everyone loves cake and this recipe I find sells the best and I can get quite a lot of money for her per slice. So um, it is a very big favourite of all my friends and family. So this is, I can see it now. Well, I can see it's bought from the stainage. I'm going to have to take a picture of this. Caramel fingers. Yes. Um, so could we, I mean, we, what we'll do, and you kindly said we can share this. So we have yes. to thank, is it Linda? It's Linda. My mum's friend, Linda Shock. She um, gave me the recipe. Mm. Um, must be 10 years ago. Right. And um, people will ask me to make it and okay. offer to pay lots of money. So I don't know why. <laughs> when I make, it's it, when she makes it, it's just as good. So it's not me, I don't think. Yeah. But you do have to make the caramel from scratch and it sort of does take a lot Ooh. of doing. When I'm doing big batches, I do have to get my husband in on it because he's got the muscles to do the whisking of the caramel. Because mm. after I've done one batch, my arm starts okay. to hurt. 
If you don't keep whisking, it'll burn. Mm. And if you get black bits in your caramel, nobody wants it. No. No. Occasionally, if it does happen, there's a little trick. Ooh. You put dark chocolate into your caramel <laughs> mixture and it becomes a chocolate caramel oh. and you can't see the bits. As long as you catch it early enough, there's only a few bits in there, then it doesn't taste bad. Okay, so you are going to kindly let us have this. Yeah. But looking at this then, um, I'm looking and already I know self-raising flour is not available in America and Canada, but we'll work that one out. Well, it says self-raising flour, which um, is for shortbread, but I use plain as well. Ah. Don't I, I prefer the plain. The, the self-raising can go a bit... So I have adapted it a little bit. But what I do find is that the caramel makes quite a lot. So if you, you can, if you're being tight, split the caramel in half and make two double up on the base. Oh. But people like the caramel, so... So ingredients we will put on our Facebook page and Instagram page. Yeah. You've already said about the the caramel. Mm. Is there anything else you need to share with us about how to do that um, the listener at home will want to know about? Well, with the um, with the caramel, that's the most important bit. But you can't rush this. It is a time-consuming recipe. You can rush it and it doesn't taste the same. So you do need to sort of like let your shortbread cool down quite a bit. When, when the caramel, you need to let that cool down a bit before, but you need to keep beating it in between. So it's like a baby, you can't really just leave it. So once that's cooled down, I normally put it by the back door, let it cool down, keep beating it. When it gets to that texture where it's still pliable, but it's not boiling hot, chuck it on. Then you have to let that cool right down before then you put the chocolate on. Okay, and any preference with the chocolate? Well, whatever you've got in the cupboard. Because I do it for fundraising, sometimes it is very cheap chocolate. Right. Because I'm trying to make money. Mm. Um, but I have got a friend that works at Cabris, and occasionally we um, he can get me some bits that I melt down <laughs> after Easter, and it's summer, and there's they, in their East in their, their Cabris oh. shop they have seconds and stuff. So sometimes when I do that. Um, that keeps my cost down as well. It's a good friend to have. It is a very good friend to have, yes. Is that it? Is that all the... That's it. Is the method on there? The method is really basic. So you just put together your sugar of flour and butter and you mix it together until it makes like balls. I do that in a food processor. Just pulse it. Once it makes the balls, you can see when it's ready. Put it in your sandwich tin. The filling is the condensed milk butter sugar and there's a golden syrup and you have to do bring it to the boil slowly and then for five ten minutes simmering but you have to keep whisking it because it will stick otherwise and it will burn and you and i suppose i haven't really that's how i got the recipe and you can just almost tell when it goes into a caramel because it just hardens up changes color hardens up and then when that's done, then let that cool and you just melt chocolate and put it over the top. I do like to melt my chocolate over a saucepan in a bowl. I don't like melting it in the microwave. And then if you're doing a Christmas version, you can put lots of Christmas decorations on the top or hundreds and thousands. Before now, I've done um, a Biscoff one. So I've used Biscoff as the base mm. and Biscoff crumbs on the top. And that's it. For somebody who didn't want to do this, you're really enjoying it now. <laughs> Can't shut me up now. <laughs> the fabulous Sarah Evans. Bit of an inspiration is our Sarah, and long may her recovery carry on in the right direction. And thank you for the recipe, which I shall put on Shat Bagley's Instagram and Facebook pages. And please let me know if you make them and how they went, and I shall certainly pass your messages on. I had to keep the bit with one of Sarah's colleagues, Lauren, bursting in. It was Lauren's laugh that did it for me. I have to say they were a lovely bunch and it'd be great to see Sarah back with them once again. If you regularly tune in, and if so, probably still waiting for this to improve, but no, this is it, I'm afraid, you'll know my love of old recipe books, which is how Shat Bagley first came about. Well, not so much recipes this time, but an old book from 1933 called Household Hints, published by the Chicago Daily News. It looks like they select from thousands of hints contributed by readers to the women's pages of the Chicago Daily News. So that's how this book came about. A couple of ones I want to share with you. 
uh, keep refrigerator odorless. And then it goes on to say, melons, cucumbers, bananas, etc. may be placed together with other foods in the refrigerator without making the foods distasteful if you keep a piece of charcoal about two inches square in the corner of the refrigerator. It also keeps the refrigerator odourless. So there you go, a lump of charcoal. Isn't that what we're supposed to be bringing in in the new year? Oh well. Uh, also, marbles prevent sticking. Uh, put several marbles in your kettle pan while making chilli sauce, tomato preserves, apple butter or anything it says which calls for continued stirring. The marbles roll constantly across the bottom of the kettle which prevents the contents from scorching or sticking. You just know what's going to happen, don't you? There's, there's going to be a round thing in your chilli jam. Uh, yeah, please don't eat it. And then this ties in really with uh, the lovely Julie, who is the uh, expat in America. Other uses for lemons. The halves of lemons, when the juice has been extracted, should not be thrown away at once. They can be used in a hot bath. It doesn't say why and it doesn't say anything else, but we can use them in a hot bath. There you are. Uh, time for our final guest, and it's a welcome return to Shatbagley for Suki Pantal from Suki's Curries and Spices in Malvern, Worcestershire. We chatted yesterday over Zoom, and I wished her a happy Diwali, but then wondered if it was perhaps a little too late, as the event had passed. Not at all. I think it is. It's um, Diwali is like the onset of the new Hindu year. You know, so you can say Diwali, happy Diwali at any point after it's done for like a week, 10 days. Like it's like you, you say happy Diwali, like I'm still wishing people <laughs> because, uh, you know, you forget to wish people. And I'm like, oh, happy Diwali, happy Diwali. <laughs> so um, it was on Sunday. So you're not that late. Oh, that's all right then. <laughs> so because I, I remember it being a festival of light when we right. used to cover it. But I don't know it a huge great more. Um, Suki, so could you sort of enlighten us a little bit about, well, that's pardon the pun, about Diwali? Yeah. Yes, uh, so primarily Diwali is a is a Hindu festival. It's a religious Hindu festival. And um, as far as um, the scriptures go, it was a story about uh, conquering uh, evil and the prevalence of truth. And so uh, there is um, the whole story which goes around uh, Lord Ram, who is uh, a revered uh, uh, figure of, he's a god in Hindu uh, in Hinduism, and it's about him fighting the war uh, for um, yeah, truth over evil. And then he comes back to his kingdom, and when he comes back to his kingdom, that's where everybody light up their homes and make sweets and beautiful food, and it's all about that. That's one part of it. But now, I mean, given. Uh, where we stand in terms of times, it's not sort of transcended that whole um, Hindu religion sort of, um, you know, closed um, uh, festival and it's become more open. And so we have um, everybody celebrating uh, Bali in India, just like everybody celebrates Christmas. So um, I'm Sikh, I'm not a Hindu. But, uh, but we celebrate Diwali. We may not do the prayers, but we light up our homes, we wish our neighbors, we exchange gifts with our friends and families. We cook great food that evening. And so it's a family's get together. Yeah. It is sort of how probably you look at Christmas here uh, in, the, in, in like in world over. It's like Diwali in, in India, which is now, of course, a global festival because there's so many Indians all over the world. Yes. So, so when um, you say you will gather folk to, to eat, so let's carry on with the, um, the linking with Christmas perhaps we would have a turkey what would the food be to diwali then suki so uh primarily it is vegetarian food ah. because if you're a a, a a a religious hindu person and who does your prayers that evening uh, you would probably have vegetarian food but that could be from anything it could be just you know your beautiful uh paneer dishes, it could be dals, it could be vegetarian curries, but along with that, they everybody makes homemade sweets. These sweets are made of um, a flour, you know, different kind of flours and lots of sugar and, you know, some, some are made with um, 
vanilla essence. Some of them are made with a, a, a kind of a flower called koya. So they make these Indian sweets, mm. which um, are made by, say, uh, the ladies or the, the, the mother or the sisters and the family. They make these sweets and then they're presented. Mostly, of course, a lot of people buy these sweets because they're available in the now in all the shops and stores. <laughs> but traditionally, they're made at home. It's all about the sweets as well. But as far as the uh, food is concerned, it's vegetarian. It's it's sort of everything that probably you know you have in a in, in a vegetarian menu. On <laughs> it, it's like you make it from scratch and then you present it and you have it uh, with the family in the evening. Uh, we cook. I mean, me as a Sikh, yeah, Punjabi Sikh Indian who who loves Diwali. I make um, I make a lot of. <laughs> chicken dishes, sometimes I make a lamb curry. <laughs> um, so I, I absolutely enjoy making all sorts of different foods. Um, there's a lot of chaat, which is the street food that we have. Mm. Oh, uh, the, the, veg the vegetable chaat, you mean? The yes, yes. And, and chaat, chaat would basically be these savory biscuits, which are deep fried biscuits made of uh, gram flour. And then you 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 add a lot of spices on it. You add chickpeas, you add potatoes, you garnish it with uh, like the coriander chutney, you garnish it with um, uh, tamarind chutneys, a bit of yogurt, mm. and then you make this chaat dish. Right. You do it with samosas as well. The different types of chaats. I mean, um, I made uh, a chaat dish, um, which was called, it's it's a Mumbai-based street food, which is called pav bhaji. Now, pav is the bread, and bhaji is uh, the vegetarian curry. So you eat it together with onions, and you have it with coriander, fresh coriander, and a bit of lemon juice. But I made the non-vegetarian version of it, which is called keema pav. Mm -hmm. And so pav still remains the bread, but I made it with minced lamb. Ah, oh, it sounds wonderful. I, I, yeah, of course. <laughs> so I, I, it sounds then the celebratory food is the sweet. It's the sweet itself, isn't it? And I'm guessing it's colourful as well. Yes, very much. Uh, there are very traditional sweets like rasgullas, gulab jamuns, barfi. Uh, there is one sort of sweet which is made of, um, you know, just cashew nuts. So you grind the cashew nuts and then you, you know, you mix it with sugar and a bit of other stuff. And then you make these little, uh, small little squares out of it. And uh, so they're different. These are called barfi. So they're made with koya. They're made with, uh, you know, flour. They're made with different things. But uh, they're all traditional. And, and sweets is a very, very uh, huge market is during it? Diwali. A week before that, most places in India, old towns, all the supermarkets or the store areas where the stores are, we call them markets because what they do is they cover the area mm. and they put a lot of lights and then they make these sweets right there, fresh sweets ah. in those markets and they sell it in these little boxes. So people are queuing up for a week, 10 days before that just to pick up sweets. Of course, they're made at home as well, but a lot of the stores and um, these market areas, they, they sell sweets. Gosh. It's all about the sweets. Yeah. So street food for sweets. Did you make your own sweets then, um, Suki? Oh, no, Katie. I'm not good at it. <laughs> I'm good at eating. <laughs> I love Indian sweets. I would I devour them uh, with urgency. But um, for making them, you know, because traditionally, obviously, they uh, are something which are, you know, this it, it's made at home. But as, as when I grew up in Delhi it was just we used to just go down to those markets and buy them mm. so, uh, so it was just easy to just go there get the sweets come back home make your hampers you know exchange gift with your friends and put in that little box of sweets in there so um yeah so um no I, I, probably it's something it's um it's on my um you know it's something i need to do it's on my bucket list i need to learn how to make an indian sweet well i think so suki because in the beginning <laughs> of diwali it's like a new year isn't it as well so new year resolutions this should be yes. it learn yes. to make um sweets for next year <laughs> i must katie i must that's that, that that is true actually i should keep that in mind 2024 <laughs> indian sweets well i can make halwa which is uh, made with uh, samalina um it is also uh, traditionally had in the 
uh, Sikh temples as a, as a, as a divine food that we give. Uh, so I can make that. It is called uh, halwa, or it is in in our gurdwaras. It's called. Um, it's basically prashad, which is like um, the divine food of the gods, which is presented, and then it's given to all the followers who are there praying. So I can make that. That's the only thing I can make. <laughs> now, but she, when you mentioned semolina, that sounded to me more of a pudding. So the, oh yeah, <laughs> you know what? It, yeah. <laughs> it's basically it's just you you uh, you uh, fry the semolina in uh, in a bit of uh, yeah you fry it off and. It, changes color becomes darker you add this really sweet but hot water so you added sugar in water then you add that to that and then you keep like stirring quickly so that you know it becomes smooth and that's it it's, it's actually just that's it it's just semolina uh cooked in a bit of ghee or in butter changes color you add sweet hot water and then you keep stirring it till it sort of bubbles and the water kind of sort of evaporates and that's halwa or that's prashad depends on what you use if you use whole wheat flour which they do in the temples mm. it is prashad but when you're having it in diwali or you having it as a as a, as a dessert then we use samalina okay i'm going to say something now because you've described what it what it is is it very tasty? Because you're not selling it to me for that at all, Suki. <laughs> <laughs> it is, you know, I, I think um, halva is something which is when you make it with samalina, then you, what you do is when you present it for Diwali or you have it as a, as a dessert, then you add almonds on it and and it's already made in ghee or butter so it's really rich it's smooth rich it's beautiful it has a lovely fragrance mm. you can even add a, a you know a bit of uh, any sort of nuts in on on top of it but as um uh, when you serve it as a prashad which is uh, you know you're serving it in temples and it is more sort of very basic but i love that made with the whole wheat uh, flour. It's so beautiful. It's uh, It has this amazing fragrance. It tastes lovely. And we're just given a little portion of it, which we sort of quickly eat. It's hot. It's tasty. It's so, it's so, um, it's very soulful. <laughs> oh, well, no, that's that's fair dues, isn't it? I have the same thing about mulled wine. I'm supposed to like that, Suki, and I don't. So don't don't worry about it. It's only Oh, me. no, I can understand. <laughs> mulled wine, yeah, you know, a lot of things can be an acquired taste, which is so true. And um, I love it because I love the fragrance of it in, in December. I love uh, my kitchen smelling of mulled wine. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, isn't it? So with, with Christmas in mind, building up to it then, Suki, will will you reflect that? Is that reflected as part of a, a Sikh culture? I mean, excuse my ignorance. Uh, you know, I think, like I said, we are all our global citizens, aren't we? We live in a world where we are all connected, whether it is through social media, whether it is through, you know, just how, um, how everything engulfs us, which is like a, a festival, for example, like Diwali, um, you know, even if we don't know the religious connotation to it, we understand that, oh, this festival is an Indian festival and it's the festival of light. Now, that itself says a lot about you knowing about the festival, you know, and you, 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 we are here in the UK, we are in England and we are talking about this festival. Similarly, Christmas is also something which is very widely celebrated, not again in the religious terms, as in, of course, there's a huge population of uh, Indian Christians who would go to for mass to the churches in India, they would. Mm. And then they would celebrate it in a very sort of traditional way, which I had Christian friends in India and we used to go to their uh, their parties and celebrated with them. But for us, we would still have a Christmas tree. I mean, in Delhi, I, I had a Christmas tree every year and we used <laughs> to throw a party and exchange gifts and, you know, used to do all that. And um, on Christmas Day, um, instead of celebrating it at home with a traditional turkey, uh, most restaurants, literally all restaurants are doing amazing deals for Christmas. And so we used to all go out and eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean christmas everything is decorated it's beautiful you should see the malls oh, you should wow. see the restaurants the hotels you know got these big big huge christmas trees a lot of bubbles everywhere <laughs> oh how lovely and yeah. I, i'm guessing the tree you had in india would have been an artificial one 
Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so will you have a, another artificial one or do you ever go down the real true route, um, tree route in the UK? You know, I, I, Katie, I'm just, I'm just really scared of cleaning all, all of it afterwards. <laughs> So I haven't really gone down the route where I've got a fresh one. I'm still sticking on to my one, which I bought from B&M. <laughs> and when will that be coming out then? Oh, it'll be coming on on the 1st of December. It always comes out on the 1st of December and goes back in in the first week of Jan. Oh, okay. All right. So next year then, 2024, it's a big one because not only are you going to learn how to make Diwali sweets for next year but you are yes. hoping finally to get your book out Suki absolutely I'm really excited Katie it's taken me all this while to sort of put my recipes together and you know present to uh, not just my followers on my social media but to anybody who's interested in learning how to make traditional Indian food from scratch I need them to have a look at my book because it's not just for people who have cooked Indian food, but it's also for beginners. It's for anybody who has heard of Indian food, but has probably got limited knowledge that doesn't go beyond probably a madras or a pathia. Mm. And then they love those dishes, but then they want to also explore what is there in India at the moment or what was there for a long time, but they just don't know how to go about it. So I am just going to enlighten them and tell them, you know what, it's not so tough, even if you're starting off and you really want to have what probably I have in Delhi or I have in a small town in India, home cooked food, I'm going to share that recipe with you. So that is why I'm going to write this book. And it's no fuss, no fusion. There is nothing like 20 minutes and it's on your table. I'm not doing any of those things. I'm doing it exactly the way my mom did it or exactly the way my grandmom passed on her recipes to my mom and my aunts. And I'm going to present that. And it's easy. It's not going to be overwhelming. No, no. Um, you'd be very proud of me. I, when I first started cooking myself, I've never right. been, I've never been a huge spice lover, but that's because mum and dad weren't. So you yeah. kind of grow up with what mum and dad would do. And so it was right. until I was an adult that I began having, experimenting with spices. And I have to say, they used to nickname me Korma Girl because I couldn't really, <laughs> I couldn't really have anything stronger than Korma. That sort of level of spice. But yeah. like anything, you you experiment, you try. And now I'm on. I don't know where I would be now. I'm probably not on full on hot hot, but I'm I can cope yeah. with medium. I want to like really, really stress upon and also, let's say, burst this this misnomer is that Indian food is spicy or is all about the spices. Sp spices in Indian food are supposed to just, you know, make it just a level playing ground. What I mean, mean is that it is supposed to just add value to your basic or your main ingredients. They're not supposed to overpower your dish hmm. so it less is more okay. is in indian spices you will never find that an indian dish is going to be very spicy unless and until you actually add red chili powder or fresh chilies in it your spices like coriander cumin garam masala are not going to make it spicy hmm. primarily indian food when eaten home-cooked indian food eaten in india is not spicy I'm looking forward to your book. Do you know what it's going to be called? <laughs> Have you worked it out? Yes, Katie. I think I can I can say that now because I have come up with the title and I shared it with uh, my uh, my publisher. I mean, we are doing it together. It is a self-published book, but they are there with me. Um, so it's going to be called Garnish with Garam Masala. Garnish with Garam... Garnish or Garnished? Garnish. Garnish with because garnish. all your dish, yeah, because all your dishes, like the ones, especially the Punjabi dishes from North India, are always garnish them with a bit of garam masala at the end. And garam masala is this warming spice blend, yes, which has most of the spices in it, which are earthy, floral, sweet, adds a sweet note, note to your dish. It's also got a little bit of a kick because it also has black peppercorns. But you're just garnishing it at the end when you're about to serve that dish. So, so in our in our 
part of the world where I come from, my family sort of cookbook or my family recipes, mostly we always garnish our dishes with garam masala and present them. So it's going to be garnished with garam masala. Oh, Probably I'll add that tea to it, garnished. I like that, Katie. I like that. Maybe it'll be garnished with garam masala. Let me let me have a think. <laughs> <laughs> but then, of course, I don't know if that extra two letters is going to cost a lot more. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, Katie, yeah, but it is a beautiful idea. Thank you for that. I'm going to like go back to uh, the, the drawing board and have a look again and see what I can, you know, do. <laughs> I'll be having that discussion. It's, it, it, yeah, it, it probably should be garnished. Garam masala, yes. Please, please don't take anything I say as with anything. I, <laughs> no, I love I, it. I love it. I learn every day, Katie. I learn every day. <laughs> I'll tell you what you would have enjoyed. Glyn and I recently come back from holiday and we had a lovely time. Not that you'd look that I'd been away because um, I, I don't, I don't seem to tan anymore. It's most peculiar. I think it's age. But we yeah. were, we're, we're part of a family over there now, which is just lovely. They've opened their arms to us and we were invited to an 80th birthday party. And there were okay. 22 of us all round a table. And wow. I just, now I suspect that might be quite normal for you with your celebrations and families, but we we tend not to. In, and I think it's so sad. I think it's lovely to be part of something so big. Yeah, you're so right. I mean, it's celebrations are always big, you know, and I think it's, cult it's also culture which comes in. I mean, like, because we are North Indians, myself my family we are very big on big celebrations big celebrations lots of food lots to drink but where on earth they got 22 chairs from uh suki <laughs> <laughs> we i'm sitting on a chair and i'm looking around and for the dining chairs and i've got another yeah. five i mean that's it <laughs> i haven't got any more i remember when we were growing up and mum would maybe get the stool out of the kitchen and then there'd be i don't know a neighbor would be able to bring round and we used to have a fair few round but 22 have you got 20 <laughs> have you got 22 no. chairs <laughs> no i've got i've got six katie i i mean it's like my dining table will literally not get another one and so sometimes and i've guessed I actually go and sit on a sofa and like we'll have quickly something to eat while I'll give them my chair because sometimes you do have guests and then and then you'll get these tools out like you said and you know <laughs> I just sometimes just go and eat somewhere eat somewhere else and like you know and they're like oh no 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 it's okay you're, you're the host you got to come to the table I said no no you guys enjoy that's my hospitality Indian very Indian you sit and eat I don't mind standing somewhere oh. <laughs> in the corner <laughs> someone get Suki a chair wishing Suki all the best with the book be a garnish or garnished with garam masala. Suki has a huge social media presence where she shares her recipes and beautiful pictures of her food. So just look for Suki's curries and spices. And a great idea for Christmas, she is selling gift vouchers at the moment for virtual cook-alongs with Suki via Zoom. Uh, you get to cook one dish from her upcoming book, something you can perhaps do with your family or friends, um, maybe separated by miles. Great idea. And we'll keep in touch to find out what the finished title is. Thinking of celebrations, happy Thanksgiving for next Thursday. Hope it's a good one. And wish me luck at the osteopath tomorrow as I find out whether my pelvis has slipped or not. <clears throat> as always, you can email me podcast at theshatbaggerly.co.uk or get in touch via my Facebook or Instagram pages. Please do follow or subscribe. I promise it's totally free and no funny business happens when you do. It just allows possible guests to see if anyone is listening to this podcast before they commit and then they say yes to joining us, she said. Fingers crossed. And with that in mind, next week, doo -doo -doo, we have a Bake Off contestant with us from this season uh-huh i know so that's it for another week thank you for listening and see you next time glenn can you bring a couple of stools down yeah i know just need to see if how many people we can fit in 22 hmm not are we <laughs>